0: Doing well tonight. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. And uh, as we uh, meet together and uh, pray together and think about the wonderful things of the Lord and think about the future that we are going to have in Him, we also know that uh, God is faithful to us. And uh, whenever we think about faithfulness and praising God, we think about, I needed a car and He provided it. Uh, Didn't have enough money for food, and he provided it. And those things are true. But I want to ask you to think about another aspect of God's faithfulness. He's faithful to deal with us whenever we have sin in our lives, isn't he? The Bible tells us that he disciplines those he loves. And um, he does it for our good. He does it out of love. He doesn't do it out of uh, anger. Although, make no mistake, he is angry at sin... And the Bible even says in Psalm 711, he's angry with sinners every day. Now, excuse me, got a cough coming on. And uh, one of the things he's promised to do is not to leave us the way that we are. He's constantly working, constantly improving us, constantly changing us. Now you've heard me say this before, don't think of discipline merely as uh, something like he's taken a whip to you or something like that. Think of it in terms of correction. He does whatever is necessary to correct us, and that's why we want to be pliable in his hands. We want our hearts to be tender. We want our minds to be renewed so that when we have conviction that comes upon our heart, maybe you're reading something in the morning and you're uh, getting ready for your day, and then something just strikes you. Man, what I just read, I violated just, you know, maybe the day before. Or maybe you read it and you violate it after you read it, if you're like me. And uh, you feel the pang of your conscience and you feel the the guilt of that. And uh, what should you do? Well, don't persist in it and don't just stubbornly continue in your sin. That's the time when you need to... 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And uh, I think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, after the warnings about the you know misusing the Lord's Supper. He made this statement, and I try to remember this, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And I think what we need to understand is the quicker we can deal with our sin, the better it's going to be. The longer we persist in it, the longer we hold on to it, the longer we refuse to repent of our sin, the more severely uh, then that he has to deal with us. And again, he does it because he loves us, but while he loves us so infinitely and wonderful, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, he says. Think about how much he hates us. Our sin and all sin and any sin that comes up. Well, as we uh, consider where we're going uh, tonight, if I can get on the right page here. I I want to talk to you tonight out of Psalm 38. Psalm 38. Hopefully we've got it right this time. And uh, last time I missed that. Uh, But we're entitling this, God Goes to War Against Our Sin. How much does God love me enough to use warlike words and phrases as He deals with my sin? He hates my sin more than I do, I can guarantee you that. And uh, we all ought to hate our sin, and we all do to a certain degree. But I will promise you, you do not hate your sin as much as God hates your sin. And so uh, as David writes about this, this is another one of those psalms that is a uh, a psalm of, of penance. This is where he confesses sin and he talks about uh, what the consequences of sin as God deals with him is like. And it's uh, pretty graphic. So let's go to Psalm 38 and we'll look at the first four verses tonight. Psalm 38 verses 1 through 4. So if you'll follow along as I read it, and uh, David says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of ...my sin... ...notice his confession there... ...this is my fault... ...for my iniquities... ...have gone over my head... ...picture being in a... ...in an ocean with waves... ...going over you... ...and it's hard to stay up above it... ...it's hard to breathe... ...it's hard not to swallow the salt water... ...and then yet they keep coming... ...and keep coming and keep coming... ...for my iniquities have gone over my head... ...he's drowning in it... ...like a heavy burden... They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering. That's quite a picture there, isn't it? Uh, And some translations say my wounds stink. Okay, if if that helps you, we need to understand what he's saying. Uh, Infection, I guess we would think of it. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. Again, whose fault is this? He's not blaming God It's my sin, it's my foolishness, and he apparently has persisted in it. So, God loves us, but he hates our sin. In case you wonder about that, all you have to do is look at the cross. When you look at the cross, and you see the Son of God, the God-man, Jesus Christ, as he is nailed to the cross, as people mock him, as they spit upon him, and uh, understand too, in a lot of our pictures the cross is way up high people are looking up to it Uh, they probably were not anywhere near that high they probably were just a little bit above the height of a of a normal person which they were they were fairly short back then because they could walk up to the cross and they could actually spit on Jesus and uh, look at him and see him and and of course The paintings we have, they're they're nice and they show a a loincloth on him. Uh, They didn't crucify people like that. The Romans wanted you to be completely exposed and completely um, shame-filled and all of that uh, while you were on the cross because they wanted to get the message across, don't mess with Rome. You remember the old commercials that used to say, don't mess with Texas? Well, Rome was a whole lot worse than messing with Texas. And uh, it was a horrible thing. And think about that on the cross. As bad as the physical suffering, as bad as it was that people were mocking him and spitting on him and and wagging their heads. The Bible says as he went by and you know just shaking their heads at the whole thing. What a terrible thing! This guy who said he could save others and rebuild the temple, but he can't even get down from a, from the cross. What a loser! And God certainly wouldn't allow his son to die like this because they didn't really know their Old Testament and they didn't read Isaiah chapter 53 like they should have and then to make it even worse God the Father takes all of the anger that we read about in, in, in this psalm toward our sin and takes that and hurls it upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the thing that really made him shriek and yell loud was not the nails but it was when he said my God my God why have you forsaken me remember he had never done anything wrong he had never sinned but the apostle Paul reminds us that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Think about how unfair that was. Think about how horrible that must have been. Think about the amount of wrath that he would bear because he didn't do that just for one person. He did that for all of us. And he bore our sins on the cross. He drank the bitter cup of the wrath of God. And then when he was finished with that, when he drained it, he says, it is finished. And then right after that, it says that he gave up his spirit and he died. And there were other things that happened in there. But remember, everybody was amazed at how quick he died. And it wasn't because he was a pansy or anything like that. He was a a strong, tough man. But he had been through a lot and he probably had lost a lot of blood, was probably very weak. And um, they had to Push themselves up on the cross. Can you imagine how that would have felt with the nails in their hands? Push themselves up to take a breath. And then they would, in exhaustion, let it out. And go up and down and up and down just to keep breathing. How long could you keep doing that? Well, sometimes, think about this, they would do it for days. And in fact, uh, because it was a Sabbath the next day, the Jews said to the Romans, We need to hurry this thing up. We don't want these bodies on these crosses over the sabbath because typically the romans would leave the bodies on the cross for a long time they wanted people to see it they wanted the bodies to be disgusting and decomposing and they did it in a public place where people would be walking by and they could see and they would say don't mess with rome but uh, the jews wanted them off of the cross because of uh, the sabbath so what did they do they went and they broke the legs of the two thieves and uh, that way they couldn't push up and get breath they would not only lose blood and uh, be in shock and be uh, suffering from exposure but it would keep them from uh, inhaling and exhaling so it was a gruesome horrible painful type of death but you remember they came to jesus and they were amazed that he was already dead Because he was in perfect control of the whole situation. And he had committed no crime. So there was no use of him going any longer than he had to. And so uh, once the debt was paid to Telestai. The debt is paid. It is finished. When that happened he went uh, to go be with his father. Now when the father thinks about your sin. And my sin. Can you imagine what he thinks about. What it cost the Lord Jesus Christ. How much does the father hate sin enough to crucify his own son? Now if sin were no big deal, God would have just said, Oh, no big deal, just forget about it. Ah, you didn't mean it, it'll be better next time. But it didn't. He sent his son to literally be butchered and then nailed to a cross. And uh, to do that, to bear the wrath of God in our place, that's how much that he hates sin. Well, David had a test of that, a taste of that. David understood that his suffering, as he describes it here for us, as intense as it was, it was affecting him mentally and emotionally. It was affecting him physically, and it certainly had affected him spiritually. You don't write psalms like this when you're in a good mood. You don't write psalms like this when everything's great. This is not, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul and that type of thing. That, that, that's not this type of psalm. This is a kind of psalm that is an anguishing and despairing type song. Uh, psalm. This is uh, the kind of psalm... That uh, David writes out of the uh, sheer anguish of his heart. He is pouring his heart out in all of this. This is not David writing about something that he heard. This is not David writing about someone else that he knew. You know, I've got this friend and he's really going through some rough time. This is David's personal experience with the Lord. Now, what did he do? I don't know. It doesn't actually uh, tell us here. Maybe it has something to do with, uh, I don't know, something that he had done that we don't know about. Or maybe it was something that was done that we uh, do know about. But all of that would be just simply speculation. But notice here how the warlike images, shooting arrows and things like that, Uh, are are being used here because that's exactly the way God feels about our sin. David was accommodating his sin. David was, at least for a while, enjoying his sin. David was stubbornly holding on to his sin. And God says, in love, I can't let this go on. I can't let this continue to happen. We've got to do something about that. Now... uh, Just to use my daughter Chelsea as an illustration, uh, when she went into the hospital and when they finally found out that all of her insides were full of infection and just in really bad shape they didn't hesitate to get her into the operating room and then to open her up and start cleaning everything out. And they keep saying whenever she talks about kind of a slow recovery, they say, no, you're right where you need to be and you have no idea how bad everything was on the inside. In fact, it, it would have killed her had they not done something about that. It's, and it's kind of gruesome to think about. And it's a hard recovery, but... What's the alternative? If she still wants to continue to be a wife and a mother, then she's got to go through all of this because of uh, all of the infection. Now, I want you to think about how it is if God were to simply leave us alone. Well, and going back to Chelsea, had she gone in there and the doctor said, well, this is bad, but oh, boy, we sure hate to hurt you. And uh, oh, the recovery from all of this is going to be so rough. Why don't you just lay here and have an iced tea and and a cup of coffee maybe, and eat a nice meal or something like that, and we'll give you some painkiller, and everything will be great, and you'll sleep good, and we'll see what happens. She wouldn't be here now if they did that. They had to go to war against that infection, and, and she's paying them for it. And, um, that, but it's necessary, isn't it? Now think about God as a great physician when he looks down into your life, and there's pride that is overtaking your spirit, which is an abomination to him, or something else. And the Lord says, convicts, and you read it in the Word, but you don't do anything about it. You don't really care about it. you don't mourn over it, you don't grieve over it. You don't even confess it because as far as you're concerned, you're just normal. You know, everybody's like that. It's not really all that big a deal. And it starts affecting the way that you think. It affects decisions that you make. And then it starts affecting even the way you look at other people. You look down your nose at them. They're not quite up to your standard. And, uh, of course, you are the standard. And uh, God just hates that. So what does He do? There comes a point to where He says, That's enough of that. And He uh, goes to war. And he goes after it. And and it affects you like war does. You don't go to war and have artillery all around you and bullets flying around you and, and some of your friends getting killed. Uh, my dad has a uh, photo album with pictures from when he was in the Korean War. And uh, he was a sharpshooter. I never really talked to him about what all he did in that. And he didn't like to talk about it very much. But uh, he was... 18, 19 years old. I mean, pretty young. And on those pictures, he would have the names written out of his friends, his buddies that were in the bunker. Now, think about this. With a 19, 20-year-old kid, something like that. And then right beside somebody's name, it would say K-I-A. You know what that stands for? Killed in action. You think those people didn't grieve? This guy that you played cards with, this guy that you went to the mess tent with, this guy that you would go to the range with, maybe a guy that you went through basic training with, something like that, and you're fighting together, and this morning you had breakfast. Now he's gone. You think that would affect somebody that young? I think we forget about that. I think sometimes with the military, we get a bigger and larger than life picture of them. No, most of those guys out there are not John Wayne. They're kids. They're kids. It's kind of like we do when we look at uh, watching a football game. They look so big and so strong and so tough, we forget that some of them are still teenagers, don't we? And... uh, when there's a particularly bad game or something like that, can you imagine what it does to them when they read on social media about their mistakes and, and how angry some of the fans are? Can you imagine and think how young they really are? I used to get so wrapped up in football games and get so mad and, uh, you know, and, and get depressed and all of that. And then I finally thought, I'm not going to let an 18, 19, 20, or 21-year-old kid affect my day, much less my week. That's kind of silly when you think about it. Well, when you think about in terms of the military, and they're actually in combat, I would imagine that uh, some of the poor conditions, my dad talked about being in uh, Korea when uh, it would be like 16 below zero in a tent. Can you imagine what that was like when all of a sudden mortars started flying around you and you had to get out there and you had to man the guns or whatever it is you were doing? They didn't ask you uh, if you'd like to wait till it was a little warmer. They didn't ask you if uh, you liked what they had for breakfast. They didn't ask you what color you would like to wear for the day or anything like that at all, did they? You just go out and you do your job. And those guys, I would imagine it would affect them physically because sometimes they didn't get much sleep. It would affect them uh, mentally and emotionally as they would lose people that they love and cared about not to mention the anger they must have felt and those kind of things i think about uh, my dad when he would talk about the stories of when he was wounded and uh, he got hit by shrapnel and he had a huge big scar back on his i think it was his left shoulder if i remember right it was a big old ugly looking thing And I remember from when I was a little kid, what is that? And then he would tell me shrapnel. I didn't know what shrapnel was, but, uh, you know, that was just the way it was. And uh, he told me later on about uh, when he got hit, he could still walk because of the location of the wound. And so they uh, took him to a mass unit. And he always said whenever we would watch the TV show, Man, I hope when they were working on me, there weren't a bunch of jokers like that. And uh, then they, had, uh, to, they took them to a hospital ship, a Danish hospital ship. And he said, man, they loved that because they treated them like kings on that ship. And then when they got better, they had to go back out to real Marine Corps life. And that was a hard transition. But while they were making their way uh, out of the place where he had been wounded and everything, they were having to carry... A, uh, a young man who didn't make it. They're having to carry a corpse. And as they are carrying that and making their way to a place where the South Koreans were going to pick them up, Dad said that he had a pistol in his field jacket. And uh, in all of his shock and the trauma of everything, he forgot to put the safety on it. While he is walking and while they're carrying that guy, that pistol goes off. And he said, You know, I could have shot one of my buddies. He said, I could have shot myself in the leg or something like that. And uh, he said, it's just really, really fortunate that I didn't. And then he said, the worst thing was, though, that alerted the North Koreans to where we were. And all of a sudden, mortars started getting closer and closer and closer and closer. How do you think he felt at that particular time? Now, later he was going to get a Purple Heart and... All kinds of commendations for those kind of things. But I bet you at that particular moment, he felt foolish. He knew better than that. I bet he felt like, I've, I've just endangered everybody that's here. What in the world have I done? Okay, let's go to David. What do you think David felt like in the midst of this war? And it is God going to battle against his sin. And when you look at this, you kind of think of it with the stories that I've told that David is feeling the full effect of the battle and there's not a part of him that is not affected by this. I mean, it is really coming down on him. And just kind of peruse those uh, first four verses and and look at the terminology that he uses and realize that where we kind of look at sin and we go, oh, well, you know, uh, okay, I did it, sorry. And, and we kind of go on like that. David is really, I don't know what it was, but this is really, really affecting him. And think about the responsibilities he had as a king, the judgments he had to make, the decisions he had to make, the planning and the, uh, to quote uh, President Bush, the strategery he had to use, and uh, how that must have affected him. And I wonder how many times somebody said, David, you, you don't seem to be yourself, You seem a little off. You don't seem to be thinking as well. You seem to be distracted. You seem to be bothered. And uh, for David, probably that didn't help a whole lot. It just reminded him of how bad things were until he really repented. And so a loving God goes to war against sin in David's life so that he can bless David, so that David can win the victory over sin, so that David can recover So that David can be actually better than he was before. And so uh, this is just a a tough situation. And God hates it. And again, because we look at the cross and we can see that God is much more serious about sin than we are. So think about this. Um, The first thing I want to say is it's not in the text completely. I just feel like I need to say it because of some things that are going on. Uh, in our world and in Christianity today. Number one, sickness and suffering are a part of life in a fallen world. And some people act like, well, if you just had enough faith, if you just prayed enough, if you just really believed, you wouldn't have any of these kind of problems. Well, that is true. One of these days, we're going to experience a life that is completely free from pain and suffering and all of that. But is that down here? Or where is it? Hmm? Heaven. Yeah, when we have our glorified bodies and we're in the presence of the Lord. And some people are trying to make this earth and this life to be like heaven. And you can't do that. Not in a fallen world and not with fallen creatures like us. And it is true, the Lord redeems us out of that. But we still live in a world where the weather gets hot. There are droughts. There are problems, there are diseases, all kinds of things that come against all of us. And so we need to understand these things happen. And they happen to believers and they happen to people even like the Apostle Paul. Uh, He had infirmities and those kind of things that he had to deal with and other people did as well. And uh, this is just the way it happens. We have death, we have sorrow, we have disappointments, we have all kinds of things Uh, that will hit us in a fallen world. And uh, let's just say this, sometimes it is because of personal sin. Now we can see that in David's life. Why was he sick and why was he suffering? He said it in there, because of my sin, because of my foolishness. He was honest uh, before the Lord. He said, this is my fault. This is not just you doing something that is arbitrary or random or pointless in my life. This is... Something that you were doing. And you're doing it on purpose. This isn't the devil. This is God. And sometimes as hard as it is. To deal with the enemy. It's even worse to deal with God. Ask Jacob. Remember he got into a wrestling match. And it turned out he was wrestling God. There's no way to win. In that situation. And so God is personally dealing. With David in this situation. Because of his sin. When we uh, think about. Some Bible stories about that. You remember a guy named Uzziah? Uh, That was a king when Isaiah was living. And uh, in that beautiful chapter in um, Isaiah chapter 6 about worship, he mentions this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple And the angels cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And that's when Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a generation that's just the same. And I have seen the king, and it terrified him. And then the Lord cleansed him, you remember. Well, that same king that was mentioned there, uh, he was smitten with leprosy for... um, Oh, I, I guess we would think that uh, he sinned because he went someplace he was not supposed to go. He went to the temple and he went into the holy place, the holy of holies. You know enough about that to know that uh, there's a problem if he would do that. And the Bible tells us in Second Chronicles 26, uh, verse 16, but when he was strong in his heart, and was lifted up, that, that means he was prideful, to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, and they were valiant men, strong men, all these priests were. And they withstood King uh, Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Now get out of the sanctuary, for you have transgressed or sinned, and you shall have no honor from the Lord God. So what did God do about this? It says, Then Uzziah became uh, furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn the incense, almost like I'm going to do it anyway, regardless of what you or God says. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. And there on his forehead, it was leprous. And they thrust him out of that place. And indeed, he also uh, hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. Okay, so King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. And so that was as a result of his sin. So sometimes sickness can come Because of sin and because we disobey the Lord like it did with um, Uzziah. Uh, We also know in the New Testament that the believers in Corinth, they became sick because they took the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 29 and 30 says, For he who eats... And drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world." So there's an Old Testament example. Uzziah goes into the Holy of Holies and uh, he could have dropped dead but he didn't and because of his stubbornness he got leprosy and that was with him till the time that he died. That was a horrible disease back in those days. And then we find a New Testament example of the church at Corinth with all of their problems, with all of their immorality, with the false doctrine and the misuse of gifts and all of the things that they did. Isn't it interesting? The Lord said that I will chastise you even to the point of death, a sin unto death... Because you're not taking the Lord's Supper right. And it didn't mean that they had to be perfect to take the Lord's Supper. They weren't discerning the Lord's body. They weren't dealing with their sin and realizing that the only reason their sin was forgiven was because of the death of the Lord. This do in remembrance of me. And so an Old Testament and a New Testament example. So, sometimes, let me emphasize that, underline it, put it in bold print, italicize it. Sometimes... Sickness can come as a result of sin. That's indisputable. But it's not every time. And it's not that every time you're sick that you've got some kind of sin in your life. And if you would just repent of it and have enough faith, you would get well. That uh, doesn't work that way. And it's not that way every time in the Bible. So other times... There is no personal sin. Now some people would say there is no sickness or anything like that or trials unless you are sinful or not walking with God or not filled with the Spirit or not claiming the promises or not filled with faith. Well, we have a problem because in the book of Job chapter 1 verse 22, you remember Job, uh, did he get sick? Yeah. Did he suffer? Did he have a great loss in his life, his fortune, and all of his children? In Job 1.22 it says, In all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. And there are other verses that make reference to that too. This was just simply a matter of God and Satan had met. And uh, God says to Satan, Where have you been? Well, I've been running to and fro on the earth. Oh, have you considered my servant Job? I mean, it wasn't the devil that brought up Job. It was God that brought up Job. God set Job up for this whole thing. And the devil goes, well, of course he serves you. You've blessed him. Let me at him and he won't do that anymore. And God says, do everything, anything you want. Just don't kill him. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. He struggled, but uh, he didn't sin, the Bible says. So you can't do that. Then I'm thinking about when Jesus was with his disciples and they came upon a blind man in John chapter 9. I'm reading in verses 1 through 3. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, "Uh, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, there's got to be a reason for all of this, right? Either he sinned, well, how does a guy that's blind from birth how do babies sin that wasn't a very smart question and you know him or his parents that he was born blind now Jesus answered in verse 3 neither this man nor his parents sinned but that the works of God would be revealed in him and Jesus healed him I had a friend that said we need to remember when sickness comes in our lives there's Uh, sickness of uh, chastisement, okay? The Lord is correcting us. There's sickness unto death. My dad used to say, none of us are going to get out of here alive. And then there's sickness for the glory of God. Now, how does God get glory in sickness? I don't know. With the problems I've had, I remember thinking that sometimes all things work together for good. How in the world can this be good? How in the world does God get glory out of all of this? I don't fully have the answer on that, but I did come to one conclusion that there's one way he could get glory that I could control. And that was me, my attitude. And I began to, instead of thinking, why was I butchered and cut on and why am I so weak and why am I having to live like this? To start looking at it and say, thank you, Lord, that this open heart surgery and the replacement of that valve is going to keep me alive. I get to be around my grandkids a little bit longer. I get to experience life a little bit longer. I'm going to get to preach the Word of God again. Thank you for all of that. And it changes your perspective. And that's why the Bible says rejoice in the Lord. And oh, that last word hurts. Always. Yeah. Don't always do that, do you? In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so we've got to change things around and we've got to realize how does God get glory whenever we're weak, whenever we're suffering, whenever we're hurting, whenever we are struggling even to breathe or to do anything like that. I don't know. But I do know one thing, as you praise Him, as you thank Him, as you look to Him, as you trust Him, He does get glory out of all of that. And wouldn't that be great to even when you come to the point of your death, to die with a shout of hallelujah on your lips. And the last word you say is a word of praise to God. Other people have done it, why not you? And we think about that, are we giving God the glory? Because some sickness is caused by our sin Some sickness is the vehicle that God is going to use to take us to heaven and some sickness is simply because God wants to show His wonderful works in you and in the meantime teach you to praise Him in all things and also give you an empathetic heart toward other people who are going through pain and through suffering for them and for their family. So that's number one. Number two, God has guaranteed that he will discipline his children in love. It's not that he sets up in heaven and he says, you have made me so mad you are going to get it. Just putting it in a way we would understand, who is it that got it for our sin? It was Jesus. He bore our shame, he bore our punishment, he bore the wrath of God, and he did that for us. So why is God, why does he care about my sin now? The same way that when your children were little, you cared about the way they acted. You cared about whether they obeyed you. Now I can remember uh, when Taylor was born that uh, I was talking to Sammy one time and I said, I want that little boy that when he hears me say stop, he freezes. Because he may be getting ready to step out over a curb into a street. I don't want him to go, why, why, and keep walking on. I want him to freeze. We can always talk about it later, but it might just save his life. I think when I had children, I learned a little bit more about the fatherhood of God than I ever uh, thought I would. Because uh, you kind of understand the heart of God as as our father, as a parent. And we think about what he is doing. There are things in our life that we are hurting ourselves. And we're stumbling other people. And God is saying, stop! And we, why? What, What do you mean? What's going on? And bam! And God loves you so much, he is protecting you. And He is preserving you. Every time God says no, it is for your protection. And it is to preserve you for something else. And we we don't think like that. We think God's mad at us. We think He hates us. We think He's a cosmic killjoy. And that's just not the case. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. Let that sink in. And verse 11 says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been, look at this word, trained by it. He's training you, training you for battle, training you for victory. And he does it because he loves you. And he's not going to let you just be the unruly toddler that is going to get hit by a truck or get hurt because he won't listen to his father. That's what he wants you to do. And that's what he's doing. He's training, training, training you. And he does it simply because he loves you. And uh, I think it's the New International Version that uh, says in there that uh, afterward it yields a harvest of righteousness. Doesn't that sound good? A harvest of righteousness. I'd like to have more righteousness in my life. I'd like to have more fruitful righteousness in my life. But that only comes through the training, the discipline, the chastisement that God gives because he is going to war against your sin and against my sin. And number three, notice that David In verses 1 through 3, what's he really saying here when he says, Don't rebuke me in your wrath. Yeah, that's scary, isn't it? Nor chastise me in your hot displeasure. Yeah, that would kill him. David's asking for mercy. David is saying, Lord, don't give me everything you could give me. Think about what... The father did to Christ. He gave Christ everything we deserve. He got the full measure of it. And David has the audacity to say. Lord don't do this. Where you're going to fully give me what I deserve. Don't let me have it now. Please back off a little bit. Have some mercy on me. And don't uh, do this in your hot displeasure. Oh Lord do not rebuke me in your wrath. Nor chasten me. In your hot displeasure is, I mean, just the, the picture of all of that is to think that here's a God who's angry towards sin who will one day pour his full measure of wrath upon Jesus Christ, the innocent. And then David is kind of like us. Please, Lord, spare me some. You know, back off a little bit. Don't Don't give me all of that, and uh, that that's an amazing thing. Please give me mercy. And it's interesting when we look at other people, we want justice. We need justice. We need, that person deserves more. But when we go before God, we, oh God, please be merciful. Please, 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 please back off a little bit and don't do everything that you could. So remember that as bad as God's discipline is, it would be far worse if we felt the full force of uh, his wrath towards sin. And Jesus did. And uh, he talks about his sorrows in here. God's discipline. Uh, uh, excuse me sorrows. I misread that. The arrows. What's the deal about the arrows? God's shooting arrows at us. Well remember back in those days. That's how they fought. That's how they hunted. That's how they did everything that they did. And they were very precise. With their arrows. They were good shots. And. Why is God shooting arrows at that? He's pinpointing your sin. (coughs) He's not wiping you out with a (coughs) scattergun. What is it they always say? uh, Close is not good enough except in uh, horseshoes, hand grenades, atom bombs. (coughs) Pardon me. Ah, Swallowed wrong. You'd think at this age I'd know how to swallow. But... um, Think about that. God is using precision instruments. And it's like there's pride and it's right above his heart. We'll take that out. And it's, a, it's, a, it's like, you know, we have smart bombs that can go down chimneys and, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, that's what God is doing. And in his love and in his grace, he doesn't just destroy us. He could just vaporize us. He could just kill us and take us on out of here. But he doesn't. Surgically, Uh, He's removing our sin and killing it in our lives. So it's never just purposeless. It's not scattered. It's not random. And notice here that David says they are your arrows. They're not from the devil. They are from God. They're from him. And they're targeted and they're warlike because he wants to kill the sin in us so that we can live in freedom and in grace. And then number four, notice that David confesses his sins in uh, verses four and five. For in my iniquity, for my iniquities have gone over my head. And it's like he's saying I'm drowning in all of this. I can't get a breath, I can't get out, I can't take care of anything like that. You know, sin always has a tendency to get worse and worse and worse. I heard a, an evangelist when I was a kid say, sin thrills and then it kills. Sin fascinates and then it assassinates. Okay, that's a cute way of saying it gets worse and worse and worse. You know the thing that we've heard so many preachers say from this pulpit, sin will cost you more than you ever intended to pay it'll take you farther than you ever wanted to go and uh you know we think about those kind of sayings well that's always the way it is it's like an infection in your body like chelsea had it doesn't ever just stay the same when it's untreated it spreads and it causes more trouble and that's what sin does in our life and so god deals with it And uh, David said, it's like a heavy burden on my life. I can't handle it anymore. You know, when you first get into sin, you go, oh, it's no big deal. I can handle it. It's just small. Now David can't handle it anymore. It's like he's got a hand on him that's pulling him down. It's like he's trying to swim in combat boots, something like that and it's a heavy burden, and it's too heavy for me, he says. And he says, and then my wounds from all of this, they're foul, they stink, and they are festering. In other words, what seemed to be so fun has now ruined his life. You ever seen a drug addict like that? You ever seen a person that thought they could get away with sin and it was no big deal? You ever talked to somebody maybe in prison because they thought they could handle their sin? They thought they could get away with all of it? You ever seen somebody that's uh, eaten up? with uh, cancer and they can't breathe because they thought they could handle tobacco or something like that. You ever, I mean, all of these things that we have in our life that we go, oh, that's no big deal. Oh, that'll never affect me. Oh, I, I, I know a guy who did that until he was 100 years old. I'll, I'll just do it like that. Well, you may not get that chance. Do you remember the uh, basketball player probably 30 years ago who was uh, getting ready to be drafted from, uh, into the NBA And uh, he did cocaine just one time. And it killed him. You see there's a myth out there that says. Well everybody's entitled to one mistake. Really? Some people do. Some people don't get that chance. And David is saying here. Look this is about to kill me. Lord deliver me out of this. This is my sin. This is my foolishness. And God was. Very gracious to uh, David. And so think about it. A believer cannot be happy, free, joyful, or comfortable in their sin. Not if they're really saved. Now, a lost person can, but a believer can't. A believer cannot do that. God's going to discipline them. And uh, he describes this like drowning, being weighed down, and he's tired, and he's repulsive to other people. That's the only thing I can come up with when he says, my wounds, are they stink, they're foul and they're, you know, festering here. But that's not the kind of thing that makes people want to come up and give you a hug, is it? I dare you sometime, come to church with a large, open, gaping, festering infected, stinking wound and see how many hugs you get. Or if you see somebody like that, how many hugs do you give? No, we're Repulsed by that kind of stuff. We don't want to see it. We turn away from it. Now hopefully we'd be kinder than that if something happened. But you know what I mean by that. And David is saying my sin. I'm not attractive to people anymore. I don't have friends coming around me anymore. I don't have people that just want to come and hang out with the king anymore. I, I don't have any of that because they all kind of. What's that smell? And they uh, can't stand it to be around me. He said, that's what sin does. And sin isolates you. But isn't it wonderful that you have a God who, well, think of it like this. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, calling, O sinner, come home, come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Have you thought about that song in a long time? Sometimes we say that's for lost people. I think it's more for saved people. You're tired, you're weary, you're away from God, and you just can't handle it anymore. And the Lord says, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Man, doesn't that sound good? So tonight, let's close. And let's thank the Lord that while he hates sin, he loves you. He loves you. And that's why he deals with sin so radically, I guess you would say. Radically, forcefully, militarily, surgically. You can describe it in a lot of different ways. Why? Because he loves you just the way that you are. But he's not going to let the enemy have you. He's not going to let the infection of sin just simply destroy your life. He is working on you. Let's thank him for that, okay? Father, I praise you tonight that when we look and we see somebody who is sick, yeah, it could be because of their sin. It might be because of their sin, but we don't really know. But I thank you that when you deal with us from our sin, you let us know. We don't have to worry and and, and think about it too much because you make it really clear What's going on? And I thank you for that. Thank you that we can repent. Thank you that we can give you glory. It may be, Lord, that we're going through something and we wonder, what is this for? Well, maybe we're being an example to somebody else. Maybe we're being an encouragement to somebody else that you can make it through trials and pain and sickness with a smile on your face and with a good attitude. And maybe it's just so we can give you glory during those tough times and that the works of God can be revealed in and through us and then Lord there's going to come a time when you're going to take us home I pray Lord for us that we would go home with a shout of joy faithful all the way to the end faithful unto death but I thank you, Father, that when it's all said and done, sin is not going to win. The enemy is not going to win. And when we're in heaven and when we are glorified and when we're completely free from the presence of sin and the presence of the enemy, what a day of rejoicing that is going to be. And what a day when all of the praise of all the saints of the ages, if it's heard in hell, I don't know if it will be or not, I thank you, Father, that is going to be something that just reminds the devil of how he has lost the battle and how Christ has won and he has redeemed his people, and we thank you for that. So thank you, Lord, that you love us just as we are, but you love us too much to let us stay that way. Thank you for David and thank you for his honesty. Thank you for the way you preserve this song in your word so that we can look at it and we can look at David and say, David, what did you do? It must have been bad. But then again, the things we do are bad as well. And thank you, Lord, for loving us like you love David. Thank you for putting our sin on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And thank you, Lord, for the way that you train us. And the way you discipline us when we fall into sin and you rescue us out of it. You're a good father. Help us to be more like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.